What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game, often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. Guys, real quick before we begin, just want to ask you a quick favor. If you can, please stop what you're doing and leave a review for the podcast. Whatever platform you're listening in on, if you can give us a five star or whatever the highest rating is, it would be fantastic. And even better, if you found it useful in any way, please write that down on a very brief review if that's possible. It makes such a difference to how the podcast is received out there and pushed out on various platforms. That's all. Nothing else to ask. Now let's get on with the show. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode. And today's one is quite different in Savaras. I have a guest who came to my office after three years of producing this podcast. And we are now into season four, as you know. This is the very first time I've had a guest in person with me here in the office. So instead of watching these Zoom calls or listening to these Zoom calls, today I have my second mic set up and we had a great conversation. Now, before I get into introducing my guest, I very quickly want to mention that I will be in the next sort of seven to 10 days releasing a new uh, training program. And this is going to be the very basics. It's going to be fundamentals. Um, and so it is for people who are at the very start of their career, beginners. And so I'm offering a, an early bird package to anyone who gets signs up nice and early. And so I just want to mark your card so that you're aware to be on the lookout for this. And if this sounds like something that is definitely going to be of interest, then please do let me know now uh, by social media, message, DM, email, whatever, just that I'm definitely interested. And that way I can send you a link to that early bird offer. Just want to mark your card. Um, no, not pushing this on anybody, but just uh, I do know that there's quite a lot of people listening in that ask me questions about this kind of thing. So finally, it is about to be released. Now, speaking about my first guest, Owen Riley. Owen Riley is an estate agent and he's been in business now 15 years. And I've used Owen before. He sold my property in the probably the lowest point in the market here in Dublin. And what's particularly interesting in this conversation is we talk about innovation in estate agency and own I consider to be a bit of a, a trailblazer in this field because it was about five years ago he brought in the first virtual reality house tour and in addition to that he has introduced his own bidding uh, software on his website and so it, transparency is another thing that is important to a lot of people and this is something that own has sort of started but where is where I think he's really blazing a trail is on TikTok. And TikTok is an area, those of you who know, who follow me on TikTok, you'll be aware that it um, it's a you can get great engagement in TikTok. And what Owen has told me is what started out as an experiment for him, same thing that happened to me, has turned into genuine war, like leads for his business. And he has sold a property that first became aware that the buyer became aware of it on TikTok. So if you had said that a couple of years ago, people would have laughed you out of it. So we also talk about the market and some of Owen's advice on buying a property. And, uh, and so I think you're going to get value no matter what part of the market you're in. I think you're going to get some great value from this. So without further ado, my conversation with Owen Riley. Owen Riley, welcome to the Behind the Facade podcast. And what's really interesting about this, it's the novelty of it. It's been, this podcast has been going three years and you were the first in-person guest I have actually had to interview. And so welcome to my office. And well, I'm delighted to be here and honoured I'm the first in-house uh, guest. Yeah, it's great to have you. You're an estate agent and probably a lot of people are going to recognise your name from social media. You, you do a lot of stuff, particularly on TikTok, I see, and you're getting some you're great views and stuff like that. But for people in the international audience who are not you know, aware of you and stuff like that, why don't you just give us a brief description of who you are and what you do? So I'm a career estate agent. Um, I have my own business, uh, Owen Riley. 
Um, we specialize in uh, residential sales, lettings and management and um, very much focused on the city center and the Docklands and uh, the suburbs. I think we would say we're, we're very focused on kind of the middle and the upper end of the market um, simply because, you know, the margins are better. Uh, and we're kind of physically uh, in those areas. We have a lot of expertise in those areas. Um, I started the business in January uh, 2008, and I, I can't believe how much time has flown by. Uh, 15 years. Yeah, exactly. And and before that, uh, I, I worked in a couple of the larger firms around town. Like the first question that pops into my mind, January 2008, did you find yourself starting because you had just been laid off? Uh, because at the time, it was a difficult market, if I can remember. Would that be accurate? Or was it that you decided, I want to start my own firm, and then the whole market kind of imploded? You know, it's it's a good question, and, and I can see why you're asking it. Uh, no is the answer, but had I not gone out on my own, I think within six to 12 months, I would have been let go. Really interesting. Yeah, because wow. I was, at the time, I was specialising in new homes, actually. Right, okay, uh, yeah. And they, they fell off a cliff then. They, enough, they but, did, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and it's funny, I noticed it, uh, and, as, as, and I'm not suggesting now I saw a crash coming or anything like that, but... Um, there was a, a large development out in Adamstown in West Dublin. It I was remember a, yeah, when it was, it was being built. Yeah. yeah, and it was actually Dublin's first kind of planned town or SDZ strategic development zone. And it was it was in it was planned for six or seven years. The developer was Castle Torn, really professional yeah. um, outfit. So the first launch there, Adamstown Castle, we sold three hundred and thirty units in a weekend. Wow! And so it was and the only way I could describe it, it was insane. Uh, the level of demand, the amount of sales we've had. And in phase two of Adamstown Castle. And what length of time between them? You're, you're talking about, I'd say about several months. Okay. Uh, so you're Only talking from the autumn um, of 2006 into the spring of 2007. And at the at the second phase, I think we had like half a dozen sales. Wow. And we'd a fraction, like less than 10% of the visitors. And it, it, it was kind of very tangible evidence that the market was turning. And then I had bought an apartment off the plans in uh, Grand Canal Dock in 2005. And I moved into it in 2006. And I just started thinking, I kind of loved that part of town. Um, you'd Google and all these large tech companies yeah. and law firms and other firms. And it seemed obvious this was going to be the new central business district. And then just in the summer of 2007, I just thought, you know what? Someone should specialize in this part of town. And it just came together. It just came together like very that. quickly. So just in the, in, the, in the space of a couple of weeks, I said, I think I'll go on my own. I think I'll focus on Docklands initially. And then um, a, a, a Torrent sign went up on a, a unit at Grand Canal Dock and it just kind of... Snowballed. Yeah. What I'd like to do is, is go back, turn the clock back to... Young own is you know he he's left school and you're kind of you're you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. Mm. Tell us a little bit if you can what you know at that journey. Just because a lot of people are wondering like what brings you into property. Mm. Yeah, um, so I'm from County Meath and um, I'm a tillage farmer's son. Okay, and uh, I'm the eldest of five. I have four younger sisters. So there was a lot of um, there was a lot of pressure on me. My father was a well known. Uh, tillage man uh, p- uh, potato man uh, grain man if you're drinking a pint of Guinness or you're eating a pack of potato crisps the chances are he grew it right and um, but like a lot of farmers uh, and developers and self-employed business people he's a bit of a dictator and uh, so I decided um, kind of when around 16 that uh, you know farming wasn't going to be for me and uh, I remember that summer I, I decided to work in Chadwick's instead of on the farm and didn't, it didn't go, didn't go well. very well but I couldn't get paid you know I right. couldn't get paid so um, I um, so then went to went to college and realized very quickly I, w- I was in the wrong course and um, I uh, they my you know my, my, my father told me look I'm not funding this uh, you're either taking this seriously or you're not so I dropped out of college and within a month, um, a well-known and respected auctioneer in Navin called Michael Gavigan was um, put it out that he was looking for uh, an apprentice and, uh, and the Gavigans and the Rileys go back quite a, quite a bit. So I, uh, I, met, I met with Michael. Um, I didn't know much about the job um, and uh, basically went in there um, on, the, on, the, on the ground floor very old school apprenticeship you don't see them now 
um, I was basically doing a bit of everything, uh, including cleaning the windows and, <laughs> okay, and stuff wow. like that. It was a really good, like M- Michael is, um, he, he's from a, a long line of, of auctioneers and he was a fantastic guy to uh, learn the business of, but not just the business of being a, an auctioneer, just how to conduct oneself as a as a professional. Mm, yeah. Which but I didn't have any idea about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and still a lot of people don't yeah. <laughs> know that kind of stuff these days. I mean, that's a really interesting story. And to go from that to owning your own firm, what, what, like what's the time frame involved? Um, it was, that would have been, I'd say, eight years. Um, that's pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean... To go from apprentice to owning your own firm in eight years is, yeah, it, is a pretty su- rapid ascent, yeah. I suppose it is. After um, uh, I left Gavigan's and, and joined Guns. Okay. And uh, Gun Residential and uh Guns at the time was was a powerhouse, and um, I can remember they had the Ballsbridge office and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. and they yeah. were they were you know obviously they were so strong on the commercial side. Um, uh, Finton Gun, God bless him, died as a, as a young man. Pack took it over as a young a young man, and just did an, an unbelievable job of 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 uh, making it a market leader, and eventually. Uh, it became CBRE, uh, CB and Richard Ellis were merging worldwide, and I can remember, uh, you know, yeah, HOK yeah. were the were the hot favorite to get to trade under that banner, and and Pat and his team, and and Pat put a brilliant team in place, um, people like Willie Dowling and Ronan Webster, and uh, really turned it into a powerhouse. Residential was a little different, uh, but still really strong. Um, I remember there was a guy called Shane Daly, and mm, yeah, yeah. I, 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 Shane Daly did some stuff for me back then. Yeah, yeah. No, I worked. I worked with Shane. Uh, so eventually, uh, Shane obviously was strong in new homes. So, uh, Gun at the time were running a full page ad in the Sunday Indo. I remember going up to the office in Ballsbridge for the interview, and there's like four or five other people interviewing for the job in the in the lobby. Um, so I went in, put my best foot forward, and I got a uh, a junior negotiator role in Lucan. Oh God, uh, Lucan! In, yeah, okay. in West Dublin. So I I um, worked for two senior e- agents there. Uh, it was a fantastic place to work. Lucan at the time was a was a high volume office. Um, like for example, I was there uh, two and a half years. There was one three bed semi we sold three times in during that time. Jeez, in, t- in two and a half. Years? Yeah. So people were, people were literally buying a house. And in some cases, moving six months later into yeah. a four bed around the corner, the, the market was performing very strong. There was mm. a lot of um, people were building up equity really fast. So it was a high volume um, office. It was a really good place to to learn the business. Eventually, then I became a I became a negotiator there. Um, it's certainly where I learned to do um, be able to manage a high volume of sales. So I remember at one stage, I think I was selling 26 homes Jeez, yeah. um, on my own. Simultaneously. Yeah, so you'd be, out, you'd be out six days a week. So from there, I went to uh, Rockar, uh, the Rockar branch, uh, did well there. Then I went to Ballsbridge, um, did well there. And then I was looking for a change um, uh, and uh, Gunn started a new homes business in a joint venture with CBRE. So I went in there then as a as a sales manager sales manager around two thousand and five I'd say, and then within a year I became a director there, and we were with Shane Daly, and uh, mm-hmm. we were working on some very high volume schemes both in Ireland and overseas, and uh, it was uh, it was an it was an it was an incredible time for the property market. It was the height of the Celtic. Tell Tiger. me about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it was just um, you know. Uh, and again, just working in that office, Seabury were in there as well. So they they sold um, Buzzbridge to to Sean Dunn. Yeah, uh, yeah. Liam Carroll was it was a client, so he was building thousands of units. I can remember this is like because I was in the middle of the like I was a young man about town, like and I was buying things and like flipping them for double the money and stuff like that. Like it was it was an absolutely crazy time. Uh, and that's what one of the reasons why the market collapsed is because it, it was so crazy. It was like you c- I remember uh, the property that I bought that you you sold for me. I bought that hundred uh, percent debt. Do you know what I mean? And and that's how I ended up in trouble in that particular case mm-hmm. is because the banker like uh, this mortgage needs to get paid, Gavin. What's the story? Mm-hmm. And so I went back in the market and and you sold it for me. But I think we I took a big haircut on that one. And. Yeah, like, gosh, timing is everything, isn't it? But it was an incredible time. And just talking about finance, like, you know, getting 100%. When you when you look at how difficult uh, raising... Uh, Today. Any yeah. kind of property investment, development finance, you'd know more about that than me, but it's very challenging. Um, and, and you're mainly talking private equity, really. Um, but it was an incredible time. I remember once... Um, 
we um we were working with a developer on a scheme down in uh waterford i think it was and uh the developer was engaged with 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 uh, with Bank of Ireland, and Bank of Ireland had made a, a commitment to come down a week later to to look at the to look at the scheme, and um, so the second call they made was to Anglo on a on a Monday morning, and uh, Monday afternoon they cancelled the Bank of Ireland meeting because Anglo had already agreed to bank the whole thing. Sounds uh, incredible. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I can remember it was like that. My one of the first kind of uh, development deals that I did. I was, uh, I didn't know anyone in Anglo, but my business partner who I was doing the deal with, he knew one of the lads in there. And so I went to his house and we sat in his living room and we said, you know, we want to buy this property, you know, on the road here and it's about two million. Um, and he said, Gavin's going to go 50-50 with me. And, and the guy said, okay, you go on out for just a minute. Give me a moment with Gavin. And he says, all right, Gavin, I'm going to lend you a million and this is what we're going to do. And that. And it was just in the space of sitting in that living room in my friend's house, the deal was done. Mm. And the next day we went, we sent the solicitor in and he bought the property at an auction. And to think what you would be doing today, like the hoops that you have to jump through and stuff. And that's why I say to people who are kind of asking me for advice and stuff is this, don't compare what we were doing back then with today. Like there's just no, there's not even the remotest similarities mm. between mm. the way the markets exist, you know. Yeah, and they're two, they're two extremes. I think we need something. We need a happy yeah, medium. I think you're yeah. right. It's on one. It's gone from one spectrum to the mm. very other side. Yeah. Mm. Moving into your first year of business, that had was that a struggle? I mean, you were right in the middle of it all. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, um, I I resigned from uh, Guns end of two thousand and seven. Uh, set up shop January two thousand and eight. So I had a I had an office. I had a window display. No properties to put in it. I had a website. No properties to put to put in that either. And um, just basically went out uh, pounding pounding streets, um, leaflet drops. Uh, I remember my first valuation. Uh, it was a lovely gentleman with an apartment off Marion Square who got the, got my flyer and uh, he said, so what else are you selling at the moment? And I said, nothing. <laughs> I've just set up last week. So in fairness, he, he gave me a, a, he gave me a shot at he selling He must have it. taken pity on you. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh God, I can't get to send this guy But you away. know, it didn't sell because the, you know, it was obvious that uh, a downturn was coming. No one knew how bad it was going to get, but there was just fear. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I had... Um, because I'd been working in new homes, I decided I was going to specialize in new homes as well. So I ended up taking on a lot of new home developments, both in Dublin and outside Dublin, where nothing was happening. But you still have to service these clients and service these yeah, schemes yeah. and you have to bring in a team um, um, to do that. So so initially for the first few weeks, it was just myself in the office and then I had someone come in to support me um, a little bit. But yeah, no, you, you know, initially I was thinking I'm not going to do rentals at all. I've never done rentals. And then very quickly within a few months said, no, no, I need to do rentals because I need to get some fees in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's so interesting. I mean, what would you say the biggest challenge was for you when you started, you know, that first year? I, I would say it was a combination of cash flow I think I lost 80 grand year one. Wow, okay. um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd made the decision from the off that if I was doing it, I was doing it the way I wanted to do Property, it. Property, yeah. You know, I wanted an office. I wanted a proper website. I wanted to focus on branding. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and of course you want to build relationships. So even though it was a really tough market, you, you're looking for business, you're looking to build relationships and you've got to try. But you also, you have to, like, I can understand completely because I'm thinking you can't bring a new client that you've just won into this kind of, you know, oh, I'm, we're, we're, I'm working from home this week. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, maybe you could do that today after the pandemic. Could. Yeah, I think you could do it today. But yeah. at the time, like you would, you would be judged immediately by the, the office. Absolutely. And I think, uh, and it just gives, it just gives comfort to people. Um, but I think, you know, what was a really good move was physically being in Grand Canal Dock. Yeah, because yeah. I was the only agent down there, and I think that, and you know, I lived in the neighborhood. Um, my business was now in the neighborhood, so and I think when you're small starting out, you need a niche or you need you need yeah. some expertise that no one else has, and that was really that was very much mine at the time, and I built that up over time by starting doing reports on the on the Docklands market as well. So Docklands uh, to this day is still very important to me, but it was everything uh, back then. But I think the initial challenges were. Uh, you know, uh, who are you and how long are you trading? Mm. And, uh, you know, big, big competitors and definitely cash flow. Yeah. And, uh, and I made so many um, mistakes on that. And, um, you know, um, 
And probably another mistake was, um, you know, there were some properties I was trying to sell for months and months, and it was just obvious that nothing was going to happen. And just maybe, just maybe cut your losses, yeah. yeah, cut your loss and being a bit more ruthless with your time, you know. Mm. Looking at two thousand and eight, obviously there was about a five year period of like almost nothing happening really, except for distressed sales. Fast forward then, say five years when this, this market started to turn. At that stage, you you you've built yourself a five year. You've been in business for five years. So you're about to ride the wave. I mean, describe what it was like once the market had started to turn. Do you, do you remember like a, t- a date yes. when you said things are starting to happen? Yes. December 2012, um, the guys who bought the Marker Hotel inked the deal. And I was advising them on the, on the block of 84 apartments adjoining. And when that deal actually happened, I was like, this is the floor. It was the first big deal. Certainly I was involved in Right. And I was starting to see... Um, really from the spring of 2012 some investors were starting to react to I guess the value on offer the yields on offer like in 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 primaries of Dublin you were getting in some cases 10% rental yields Um, I think today our yeah yeah, our average rental yield today is about 5.8 in quarter one this year so investors starting to react in that but for me um kind of celebrating cl- the closing of the, that deal December 2012 that fell to me that was the floor and really from the first quarter of 2013 um, it, it activity in terms of deals actually being done started to really pick up yeah and then by that stage you had spent five years building up your business so now actually you're ready to rip you know and so it's it's really interesting what would you say are some of the you know the, first of all the mindset the habits the behaviors like in terms of your success now, you know, in business 15 years, is there anything that you would sort of say, I would say that is probably one of the areas that I'm pretty good at that that has managed to uh, to allow me to grow the business? Well, I guess um, I never forget the the responsibility and trust that someone has given me. And, and, I, and I would say this to younger colleagues all the time, even just someone giving you the keys to their home, yeah. which you're going to be in when they're not there, like you, you probably won't do it with your best friend. So understanding that it's it's a very serious business. I think um, I've always been really focused on marketing. Um, I've always been focused on, you know, new platforms and new ways of connecting with um, potential buyers and, and, and tenants. I think um, reporting on the market um, has really benefited my business. Um and then all the other all the other things that the good agents do really super focus on a service and really good communication and ultimately on your on your on your on your results and and just play, taking taking the long term view when it comes to building relationships and what i mean by that is sometimes someone might be giving you a, a one bedroom rental um somewhere um but as you develop a relationship it's amazing what else uh, comes out of yeah, it yeah exactly yeah 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 that's a good point and in terms of well let's say looking at some of your we'll say some of the bigger clients, like the developer clients and stuff, you've obviously got, you're working with quite a few these days and stuff. And I'm just curious, do you see any patterns or common traits in the successful ones that you sort of, sort of say, that's what makes these people so successful? Um, I would say they're, they're extremely optimistic by nature. Um, they, they look at risks in different ways. Um, and I think, how they broach that, I think, is really what sets them apart. So, say from a developer, from from even myself, the the kind of risk that they're 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 willing to take on. There's the obvious things like the like the vision, and um, I think they've they've amazing project management skills. I think that gets overlooked yeah. all the time. Like the different inputs, the different uh, people involved, um, whether it's the you know the planning, the finance, the contractors the agents, the other professionals, like the architects. And just, like, they're amazing project managers. I think that gets overlooked. It's the, yeah, that's the actually one of the biggest things, is that you're, you're basically the, the conductor of the orchestra. Yeah. And you're just there trying to, like, manage all yeah. the moving parts. But a lot of people are not equipped uh, to deal. So they, they might have the vision, they might have the guts, but it's the, it's the project management skills. And, and really, I would say from um, two things, really. Number one, the project management skills, and then the the people management skills are bringing in the right people. Yeah. Um, and I think... Uh, Leadership skills. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I think, yeah, the, the project management skills that the top guys, uh, developers have, I should say, is I- exceptional. The next question I have for you, uh, Owen, is 
you've been now in business for 15 years and you're one of the few people that I know that is doing TikTok and things like this. So how would you describe the transformation of, say, real estate agency over the last 15 years compared to you starting your business in 2008? You needed to have an office compared to where we are today. Well, I think social media is, is obviously a, a, a huge one. Um, you know, there was no uh, Facebook. At least I I'm not sure if there was. Uh, 2008, it, it, was, it was only really universities. Was, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. So, um, but, the, 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 you know, I started TikTok really as an experiment during a, a lockdown, during a COVID lockdown. And um, I'd been, uh, I would follow a lot of the real estate agents in America. And I saw that uh, more and more of them were talking about it. So as an experiment, I uh, I started to um, do some posts on 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 TikTok. Sometimes about the properties, and sometimes just small little uh, snippets. Um, and uh, was amazed at the at the engagement. Um, but what's really changed since then is it's now a very effective tool. Um, so if you take the the tech ecosystem in Dublin, which is huge, um. Like all the professionals in that sector all have a TikTok account. Yeah. Um, so if you're working in, in Meta or Google or wherever, you they all have TikTok accounts now. So I think that um so the, the engagement is amazing. Um initially it was an experiment and to maybe engage and, and start building some kind of a relationship with, with uh, younger people. Um but now it's actually front and center of our in our marketing strategy because um I recently sold a home in um off the South Circular Road in Portobello for one point, uh, well over a million. And um, the buyer said to me that uh, she was working in tech, was in California at the time, but she was obviously looking at properties because the algorithm followed her and she first saw the house on TikTok. Wow. Um, so it's effective as well. Super um, effective, yeah. And then you've got virtual tours. Um, so we started using virtual tours about seven years ago. And uh, that's Were you one of the first to do that? Definitely one of the first, yeah. And de- probably not the first, but one of the first. And mm. in, and instead of getting third parties to do it, I actually bought the camera off Matterport. Okay, um, wow. And uh, and we've got a few of those now, and all my team are trained to do it. And that's been a game changer because um, it gives that immersive experience and you can reach any buyer anywhere in the world. And that's a big, you know, dealing with international buyers is a big part of my business. And uh, quite often they're not able to physically come here um and yeah. and and in some cases they feel the virtual tour means they don't they might have someone a family member here who will view on their behalf particularly if it's for a child in college or whatever and uh and it, it, they save a lot of time as well because uh, so people can do the VO tour and kind of under know very quickly is this what they're looking for or not yeah and one of the most inefficient parts of being an agent is you know you drive somewhere on a saturday morning for half an hour you open the door the viewer walks in and they know straight away no this is not what i'm looking for uh, but funnily enough i would have said VO tours was going to finish video but I was very wrong on that. Yeah, yeah. And, and video gets huge engagement. And again, my colleagues and I are are very attuned um, to that. And and nothing gets more engagement actually than than video. We're finding uh, it's incredible. I mean, my kids. I have I have a load of kids, obviously, and they uh, my teenagers at the time. This is back when TikTok was called Musically, and uh, I can remember they opened an account. They were all doing this dancing to music and stuff. And I wanted to know what they're doing because I didn't like the idea that, you know, some guy could be kind of like, you know, stalking them or something like that. So I was like, okay, I'm going to open an account and stuff. And I can remember uh, one evening I I made a video of myself walking around East Point and I kind of just, it was actually a video that I was sending to a group that I was in and it was kind of Gavin, introduce yourself to the group. So I said, yeah, okay, I'll do this. And then I thought to myself, I'll have a laugh. I'll just upload my video that I did for this you know private group and i'll just upload it to tiktok and see what happens so i did it just before kind of like going to bed and next morning i had (laughs) it's just crazy i had 160 new linkedin requests overnight and i was like huh what's going on with linkedin and then i went into instagram and i had about 500 instagram link requests and i was like what the hell is going on and I went, and I, last thing I thought was to open TikTok. Opened TikTok, and the video had had 58,000 views overnight. Wow. And there was 2,200 new followers, and like about 500 comments. And what was really interesting was, half of them were negative. Mm. Half of them were super positive. Like guys wanting to come and work for me. 
And then the other half were guys calling me an asshole and like, this is not LinkedIn, get off and all this. And I was just there like, oh my God, like, and all the years I've been trying so hard to kind of like, you know, kind of build up a social media profile on Instagram and stuff. And in one night, <laughs> TikTok did it. The engagement is incredible. And, um, and, and, the, and, you're, and you're absolutely right. The engagement is not all positive. And, and I would get a lot of ne- negative comments. You have to develop a thick skin. Y- you do, yeah. yeah. Now you, you need that in this business anyway. Um, but I think the, the algorithm and how they designed in the video is just very addictive. It right. is. It's and very, and it's, it's the fact is, is it just knows what you want to see that you don't even know you want to see yeah. it. Do you know what I mean? You'd be flicking through and you're like, oh, how did I know that I'd actually be mm. find this interesting? And that's why it's so effective. And 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 genuinely, it is producing strong leads for me now. Uh, it's not just, as I said, it started out an experiment. And as you say, a bit of a laugh, but it's it's very, very effective. Well, it's like, you know, obviously we all follow Gary Vaynerchuk and like Gary Vaynerchuk, v, Gary V as he's called. They, he, I can remember him saying that Musically at the time, TikTok, he says, the kids will all be on it. But I said, it's the people who get in early. They'll have like 60,000, 100,000 sort of followers before anyone else starts to kind of think about doing it. And it's so true. It's like everyone suddenly, you know, adults now, grownups have TikTok accounts, Mm. but only in the last couple of, you know, year or two. Mm. But it's those people who who are early birds and get in very, very early. They're the ones that can kind of capitalize Mm. on that topic. Ryan Serhant, mm. I'd love to hear your view because I kind of think about what you're doing here in Dublin mm. as being the kind of the Ryan Serhant, <laughs> <laughs> obviously watered down version. Yeah, that's a very but nice compliment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure, you know what? Sure it's funny did, because yeah. I'd be flicking through my TikTok and it'll be uh, Owen Riley going through a house in Dublin. And then next it'll be Ryan Serhant, like mm. walking around the hundredth floor of some mm. apartment overlooking mm. Central Park. Mm. And so it is like it's mm. in that space. Mm. Well, he's brilliant, isn't he? He, he um, is. He's a now natural. He, he has some big advantages. He's 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 trained as an actor. Um, he looks great. Tall um, and handsome. Yeah. Tall, tall and handsome guy, full of confidence. Um, he's in a fantastic market. You know, you've great. New York. You, you know, you've great product. You've great skylines. Um, yeah. You know, if you're if you're in a less desirable location, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely more challenging. There's a friend of mine, he's an estate agent in Longford and he's just finding it really hard to of get course, engagement yeah, on, yeah. On, on TikTok. But, and, you know, he's, um, he's a pioneer. He's, he's taking on um, big incumbents who are there a long time and, you know, fair play to him. And he's, um, I can tell you what he's done, start, starting his own brokerage. Um, he's made a huge, huge investment. Um, yeah. And yeah, no, just really, really admire him. I have to say, I admire the guy. You know, it used to be when he was on that show, New York, I mean, whatever, a million dollar listing. I used to hate the guy. Mm. I was thinking like, what a what a brash kind of like, you know, he was a bit you know, narcissistic and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But in his new role as the kind of the head of his company, all that kind of stuff, he's just, he's doing it in a way that seems to make sense. Mm. And uh, so it's interesting. Um, your clientele, obviously what we've been covering the fact that, you know, young people looking to move into the Docklands area or people who work in tech, Clearly, they are your 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 clientele are going to over-index in that kind of social media space. In terms of other things that have happened in estate agency, like is there any other area that has like completely radically shifted? Well, not enough. I mean, I think um, the structure of firms, and even if you look at, at the, the some of the, the the top people or partners and directors in some of the larger firms, the same people there that was there twenty years ago when I came into the business. Um, in America, what's really kind of changed there is the, the teams side of it. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because right now, if you're a successful agent, you've got you've got a few options. One is put in your 20 years and hopefully become a director or a partner. Um, or option two is you go out on your own and you and you take all the risks that that, that come with that. And I think we need something. Um, we need something else, um, a, a bit like the American model where you you develop your own client base and you bring in your own business and you just want to focus on that like as you know having your own business um if you could just focus on what you're good at like if if i could just focus on bringing in business and doing deals all day i i first of all i'd love it and i'm that's what i'm really good at but of course running the business there's the whole back end of of things that people people can't see and i think that um i would like to think that my firm will be able to support um, agents like that who have the experience, have the client base, um, have the ambition, but just want to focus on doing the deals and bringing in, bringing in people. The other thing then is the, the bidding process. Um, I think for, for many years, um, 
the most uh, the most um, negative part of the whole process or for many buyers was the bidding process and how that was managed and how the lack of transparency I suppose so managing that now digitally and um, we designed our own bidding platform about five years ago and that's really just been a game changer because there's no ambiguity over what was bid and when it was bid and nor should there be um, yeah I mean bid x1 obviously set the kind of stage didn't they and the whole idea that you can just see it there yeah. and you place your bid and as long as you've kind of you're able to kind of close the deal it's it's yours you know? yeah and they're they're very much pioneers as well in what they're doing and uh you know they're all over all over the world now at this stage and and fair play to them so i think i think um improving the buying experience by improving the uh, or, or making the bidding process more transparent is, is a really good thing and of course the, the big thing from when i first commenced the industry is the licensing and that's definitely um, it's definitely made the industry more professional. Um, it has come with unintended consequences um, yeah. because um, there was a there was a period of time there there was a lack of, of licensed people, particularly in property management, actually. Um, but overall, it's it's a good thing, and I think as you mentioned there, Gavin, um, I've never seen um, more interest from young people thanks to programs like Million Dollar Listing and, and Selling Sunset. Um, one thing um, I try and make them understand is the, is the whole license issue, and you you do literally have to come in and learn the trade and and study as well uh, in order to get to get the license. But you know my training was uh, uh, more than three years. Um, there can be a lack of patience I find with some of the younger people now. They literally want to come in and start making money. Right start away. doing TikToks and selling <laughs> penthouses. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I suppose everybody has these kind of like inflated views of how easy it's going to be. Let's get into the market because the market is something that, you know, everybody is focused on at the moment. And you've got your, your you put out a report and things like that. You know, tell us what are the latest findings, if there's any highlights of the latest findings that you want to kind of just talk about, first of all. Yeah, I mean, I mean, first of all, um, the market has been re remarkably resilient from a seller's perspective. Um, now it is underpinned by um, a severe lack of supply which is just not reacting to the time of year um, in January I would have said this year felt like it could go one way or the other given rising interest rates and, and one impact that's had in America and the UK and Sweden I don't know if you watched it yeah, yeah I know about it um, yeah. kind of different underlying fundamentals but the market has been remarkably resilient I do think if there was a normal supply of homes for sale it would be different I think if we didn't have such a dysfunctional rental market, like yeah. there are literally first time buyers who will do anything to get out of renting because of the the lack of supply, the lack of quality, the high cost. Um, all of this harks back to what we were saying earlier to the financial crash. Yeah, um, I, exactly. I mean, because I've done multiple podcasts on the housing crisis and I've explained that this all began in 2008. Like when the crash came, half the construction industry was decimated. You know, I say decimated, but it's actually 50% of jobs were lost. All those people went away. We went from 90,000 units a year to 10,000 units a year. And now we're at 30,000 units a year and we need 60,000 just to stabilize the market. And I don't think it's possible to because who's going to build the extra 30,000 a year? Like there's, there's nowhere to, for the people to live if you were to bring 30,000 laborers into the market tomorrow. Exactly. And I think... Um you know, we, I think we have to face it. The, the systems to deliver homes is broken, uh, particularly planning, obviously. Finance now is going to be increasingly a problem. And what worries me now is that we've got rising construction costs and rising interest rates at the same time. And uh, it, it's actually amazing we built 30,000 uh, new homes uh, last year. Are we going to build 30,000 this year? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a good question, all right, because, I mean... The way I was explaining it to in, in one of my podcasts was that you've got the supply, there's completely undersupply, demand off the scales because it's pent up, there's, people are trying to rent, people can't rent so they want to buy, they can also, interest rates were lower at the time so it made a big economic sense for you to jump in and, and buy rather than rent. Now all of a sudden you've got affordability creeping into the equation and so whilst the supply-demand tension is going to be there forever, the question is, can you actually afford your, because if your mortgage has gone from where it was, you know, say two years ago to where it is today, there's going to be quite a difference there. And so the question is, obviously, ECB, where is it, where's the market going with the European Central Bank? Are they going to keep on lobbying on? I can't see it myself because Spain and Italy 
are the kind of the, the, the next grease, so to speak, if we have a big problem there, you know, with debt and things like that. So from my perspective, anytime I look at the market, I kind of think to myself, dysfunctional as it is, this is what we have and this is the way it's going to continue to be. Yeah, and it's like, um, you know, I was home at the weekend and my father was asking me about how is the market doing? And I said, well, it's, it's doing remarkably well despite all the uncertainty. And he said, uh, just a matter of interest, when was there no uncertainty? I said, yeah, you're absolutely right. So so now as always different property types and different locations at different price ranges are, are performing very differently. And uh, definitely a little bit of froth has come off the top end of the market. Um, now, if, if you're pricing accurately, you will still sell very well. But definitely uh, houses at that end of the market, kind of the two million plus market, some of those houses today are selling l- less than they were a year ago. Mm. Where the first time buyer is active up to about 450,000 euros, in my experience, is very strong, like extremely strong. Um, and, and interestingly, um, we all know about the flight of landlords from the market, which has accelerated in recent weeks. 85% of our sellers in March were landlords exiting the market. Um, 85%? 85%. Now, I, I do sell a lot of apartments, um, and, and some of those landlords were waiting since last autumn to get vacant possession. But interestingly, in recent weeks, we've seen a big pickup in demand from investors. And there are um, people with large cash deposits who are deciding to invest in real estate who don't fancy the stock market right now. And, uh, and it's not so a few weeks ago, we were wondering about the banks for a very brief period of time. So it's a great store of wealth, I think, is what these people are doing. And they'll get they'll get some return on it. They might even use it them, themselves. But um, if interest rates keep going up, though, Bet, all bets are off then yeah. because the, the market can really <coughs> take so much of that and I, and I think I would hope you're right that they are close to uh, as high as they're going to bring interest rates but I, I think um, central bankers would never admit it publicly but I mean if they thought increases brought about a fall in property prices they would say that's that's a good thing that's, that's yeah. one of the goals we're trying well, to achieve here I mean the amount of people that kind of predict you get all these kind of head head the balls that are kind of putting comments in on social media like that the government are doing this on purpose because they want to keep you know the housing high and stuff I'm saying like talk about the most negative thing in terms of the the political system like that's the one thing that they're all beating each other over the head about and so everybody wants to get house prices down there's no way how would you think we could fix I mean you've got the banking system You've got the planning system. There's so many hurdles to kind of speeding up the system. What would you say is a, is a, is a solution? Well, what's extremely frustrating is we're, we're talking about the same barriers today we were talking about five years ago. And, that's that's, a, that's and we're just point. seem to be in this loop, um, whether it's planning, finance, infrastructure. Um, what's really worrying right now is that all of a sudden, some of these funds that we thought were putting down long-term roots here I bet you're know, starting to pull yeah. out, yeah. And what's definitely obvious is that a German investment fund will accept a yield of between 2 and 3% in Berlin. They won't do that in Dublin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they want at least 4, 5, 6% now, maybe. And what's really concerning in the build to rent sector is it's frozen. Yeah, it's I've seen that. I've spoken about that. Yeah. The fact that you there's a lot of schemes that would have started the planning system they would have gone through all of this time and planning to come to a point where now we can go out to the market and we can speak to the big funds and stuff yeah. and those all those deals now are basically off the chart I, I would say there's no chance those deals getting done because whatever price you paid for the site forget it you're not going to get a profit on your your cut co- your construction your site price that you paid on the assumption that you were going to sell it at a at a yield of such and such those yields are now off. So I think there's going to be a lot of schemes that just cannot be financed and they'll just be shelved. But is this where the state, the state steps in? I mean, you know, one thing I was thinking about, uh, and you'll know this, Gavin, one thing that's always people are just incredulous about is, is, is developer profits, okay? Without understanding the risk and, you know, the, the variables and, and what way it can, it can go. It can swing, one. yeah. Exactly, yeah. So I'm wondering, is there a way that we could activate these uh, schemes that maybe the risk is removed but and and in return the the profits are capped i don't know like developers need to pro- need to make a profit um i think yeah i mean uh, like at the end of the day if somebody has got a hole in their you know in their pocket because they've got this little piece of land and they can't get rid of it and, and they can't make an economic you know case to go and sell it and your banks won't accept that then you go to the 
to state and you say, will you buy at the completed scheme? And if there's able, if they're able to at least come away without taking a massive loss that they're mm. going to end up, you know, in the mm. in a hole, mm. I think probably people would accept mm. that. Mm. But that's not before they'll go and they'll scratch their heads and they'll say, okay, what alternative use can we put in there? Maybe put a shopping center in there instead, or we'll do this or we'll do like whatever mm. it is. It's a difficult one. In terms of the, the rental sector, the RTB and stuff like I, I have clients in my coaching business that talk about the RTB just being an absolute like complete mess like that the, the creation of problems and the, the, just how slow it is have you got any you know does your report that you put out there does it put point to any sort of obvious issues in the market that have been caused by this well some landlords are selling because of a negative experience with a tenant and in turn the the RTB um it's a difficult job um it's an important body um before the RTB it was all landlords way um yeah. you know they could pretty much act any way they wished um so they're an important body and they, they are there to protect tenants they're just so inefficient um and where they're particularly inefficient is when a landlord has a tenant who's not paying rent and that's when yeah i think that's probably one of the reasons why so many landlords decide to get out of the market is, is that I'm not going through that experience again. Exactly. And it and it's very stressful. Like, you know, landlords have mortgages to pay. And in some cases, um, uh, touch wood, we've only had a handful of cases where tenants stopped paying rent. But on, on a number of occasions, it took more than a year uh, to get that tenant out. And that's just totally unacceptable. And, and you and, could and lose the, your house and the property. Like well, the mortgage, you're in arrears for 12 months if you're not it, careful. Exactly. Yeah. And then that tenant can go and do that to someone else. Um, so... You know, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work there to, to be done. They've improved somewhat. Their online offering has improved, but as I said, um, there's a, a view amongst landlords that they're biased towards tenants, and, and certainly a scenario where a tenant can go a year without paying rent and just abusing um, their systems, um, like to the point of you know not turning up at a hearing, yeah. uh, and then it's adjourned. Like that's crazy. Mm. If you were to give advice to say a buyer looking at the market now, what advice would you give to somebody? Well, first of all, I always say think long term. Um, I think I would say that uh, it really depends on what end of the uh, the market they're at. Um, if if it's a first time buyer, um, I I would encourage them to buy if they can get the mortgage. I think um, if you're buying something for four hundred thousand euros, it's probably still well below the development um, value of it. Um, so I think I would I would definitely say uh, think long term. Um, I would, uh, you know, just some, some practical advice when buying a home. I would find out who the next door neighbors are. Uh, I would always do a closing inspection. Uh, I would always do a survey. If that surveyor recommends you get in an electrician to check the electrics or a plumber to check the plumbing or do a drain survey, do it. Um, Don't do find it. out after. Exactly, yeah. yeah it's too late. Um, and um, But I, w- I would think long term. And, and ultimately, if it doesn't feel right, then wait um wait um people trading up they they tend to be thinking long term and i think increasingly a lot of the buyers i'm dealing with they know interest rates uh, won't stay as high as they are forever mm. um there'll be a swing back exactly yeah, yeah exactly own best advice you've received in your career to date i would say when i was a junior in guns i was getting impatient and perhaps there was an element that i thought i knew it all and my manager at the time um, kind of sat me down and actually outlined a number of areas he, he could see improvement. And, um, and one of them was, and the job of being a state agent is like, you've got to perfect the processes. Um, and he said, do you genuinely think you've perfected these processes? And, uh, and also, and, and I use this line all the time, some of my team will know it. He said, Owen, you know, Owen, you'll risk being five minutes late than being five minutes early. <laughs> Uh, and he was right and uh, so that was probably him sitting me down at that time I was getting impatient and uh, he just reminded me that um, you're doing well but you've you've still a lot to learn and I think as I mentioned I I was in training for about three years and that definitely stood me in good stead in the end just perfecting those processes how to engage with people how to read people how to negotiate with people how to value how to pitch how to market um, and I think I've and I, I, I've been very lucky to work with some fantastic people in the industry and I and I learned uh, a little something from from all of them mm-hmm. and, and I'm and I'm very grateful like I'm very grateful to Michael Gavigan very grateful to my time in Gunn so I think um, 
you know, for a young person coming into the industry, you know, find a mentor. That mentor needs to take the time. Um, the company you're joining needs to have proper structures in place around training. It can't be just ad hoc. Um, so I think perfecting the, the processes and and just being just being patient. Being patient. Because it's a long it's a long career. And really what separates the elite agents in Dublin uh, from the others, and it's the same everywhere, is those who can generate business themselves, can win business themselves, can value uh, accurately and then can close. Um, and, you know, the, the, the great thing about the job is I can still, uh, in hindsight, look at a scenario and said, I could have managed that better or walking into a property and literally not having any idea with any real accuracy what it's worth. Yeah, and yeah. so you're learning all you're learning all the time. You just hope, and I I would certainly hope I'm I'm, I'm making less mistakes today than I than was, was ten years <laughs> ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, uh, it's a real pleasure to have you here today. Uh, can you let people know if they want to? I'm sure a lot of people will know how to find you. But if somebody wanted to find you, what's the best place to do it? Go about? So I'm pretty much active on all the platforms. So on on LinkedIn, I'm very active. You'll find me there under Own Riley O W E N. Uh, you'll find me on TikTok Own Riley. You'll find me on Instagram uh, as well. And my email address uh, is owen at owenreilly.ie. Owen, thank you very much and best of luck. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group that is called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you will find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all of my content and the various projects I'm working on over on my website, GavinJGallagher.com. And while you're there, please do add your name to the Join My Tribe thing over on the right-hand side. This will ensure you're kept up to date via my weekly newsletter. All of these links are in the show notes below. That's all for now. I will see you guys in the next episode.